All right, we're up and running. Chris Webb, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Brett. Appreciate it. Now, listen, uh, you are the one of the directors of Gain uh, Swimming. So talk to me about this. What is Gain Swimming? Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, first of all, GAIN stands for the Gambetta Athletic Improvement Network. Uh, Gambetta is Vern Gambetta, who's kind of a legend in uh, athletic development, uh, got mm -hmm. his start in track and field as the head track and field coach at Cal Berkeley, yep. uh, kind of went on there, do some kind of amazing things in track and field. Um, and then he kind of got really famous in athletic development for his time with the Chicago White Sox, uh, working with Michael Jordan at the Chicago Bulls, uh, and kind of the rest is history from there. He has a, <clears throat> a very storied history in professional and amateur sports, working on what he originally called building and rebuilding. So building and rebuilding uh, athletes to their peak performance uh, so they don't get injured. And if they do get injured, how do you put together a network of professionals, um, athletic trainers, PTs, coaches, performance coaches, S&C coaches, to make the athletes uh, durable and supple in the athletic arena. And uh, the N the, uh, of GAIN network is really our enduring advantage. It really just has to do with all the different types of people that we're involved in. Like I said, from orthopedic surgeons all the way down to us lowly coaches <clears throat> and how we work together uh, to help athletes achieve their goals. And um, the, the swimming mm -hmm. portion of this the swimming portion in particular is just something that we put together in 2008 uh, as a trip that Vern took as a consultation when I was at the Carmel Swim Club uh, in Indianapolis with Chris Plum and Ian Murray. Uh, we wanted to put together um, a top-to-bottom athletic development program for our swimmers. And we had all dabbled in strength and conditioning. We had all dabbled in athletic development. And we, did, and we already knew what to do with swimming. I mean, Carmel was already a well-oiled machine when we took over, but we didn't want to be good and we didn't want to be well oiled. We wanted to be the greatest. And to do that, we needed some help. And we contacted Vern and Gain Swimming was born. And uh, once I came off the pool deck full time in 2018, uh, I kind of took over the reins of the swimming portion of this and Gain Swimming has been taken off, I, I suppose, ever since then. Interesting, really interesting. Um couple of things came to mind as you were speaking there and you talked about athletic development why do we need athletic development for swimmers who are doing something that is fairly unique and unusual where you're floating in a body of water and and moving yourself through this substance mm -hmm. why is athletic development important if, if that's just what you need to do in terms of the specificity why wouldn't you just need to swim is what i'm saying yeah, well, I mean, I think that because you're not be, just because you're going into that uh, body of water, you're not changing the body, and that's mm -hmm. kind of what I would say is that you're a bipedal human being. Uh, mm -hmm. For the other twenty-two out of the twenty-four hours a day, if you were in the water for two hours, so for the twenty-two hours a day, you're going to walk and lay down and sit mm -hmm. and do all those other things, and and the body's set up to only do a handful of things, but it, it does it really well. You know, it needs to squat, lunge, push, pull, bend, brace, and rotate. And it has to do that in the water. It has to do it on land. Mm -hmm. So the better you can do those things, the better off you're going to be. And really what we're talking about, the basics of this is physical literacy um, and physical education, which is what 
Vern's advanced degrees from Stanford are in, are in, phys in physical education. So that's really the basis of everything we do at GAIN is based on phys ed. And then even more primarily than that, it's gait, how you walk. And as I have my homage to Bill Boomer in mm. the background here, mm. uh, the great Bill Boomer, yeah. um, yes, recently passed. But that's why I have his stuff here because Vern and I talk about it. You swim like you walk. Your gait from the top is exactly what your body looks like when you swim. So whether you like it or not, you're going to move in the water like you move on land. One of my goals with this podcast and starting this podcast was to record some of the greatest thought leaders in swimming's history. And I'm, I'm devastated uh, in myself that I didn't get to Bill Boomer in time. Um, just a legend. Uh, worked with him uh, a mm -hmm. bunch of times with Richard Quick, especially yeah. at, at Auburn. And uh, mm -hmm. man, what a legend. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm devastated in myself for that one. Let one go there. So yeah, um, you know, it's that's why, you know, Vern sent me these Boomer Chronicles because mm. I think USA Swimming knew it kind of getting towards when Bill was getting finished with all of his coaching and he was going to retire out, you know, out in his wooden cabin and it was amazing, you know, space he had out in PA. Yeah. They recorded a bunch of stuff. So I have the VHSs behind me and I'm, I just wow. want to take the tape off them and, and watch them over and over again. Um, I was lucky enough, you know, when I, spent my time with David Marsh mm -hmm. at SwimMac doing all the senior directing work there that Bill would come in and talk with us. And it was exhausting because, mm -hmm. he, I mean, he, he you, you couldn't get to one drop of that man's knowledge in a mm -hmm. five-hour, six-hour, seven-hour session mm -hmm. in a classroom or on the pool. You really had to follow him around the pool deck and watch him do stuff. And I watched Brian Barnes, you know, the great Brian Barnes, who mm -hmm. you know oh so well, I watched Bill follow Brian around the pool deck, and 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 I watched I watched them play, uh, you know, not good cop, bad cop, but just like work with this Auburn athlete, and it was an amazing work of art. And yeah. you know, there aren't people like him anymore that I know. You know, no, really, it was no. like burning down, burning down a Library of Congress dedicated to swimming when he died. I know, I know. The Richard Quicks, the Bill Boomers, these these types of coaches, man, they don't they don't come around very often. Uh, these types of knowledge thought leaders, you know, of, of people that just have this type of uh, freaky freaky database of knowledge and and the, and their own, very unique to themselves, you know. So, yeah, yeah, they're very unique, yeah. and I think that that's where there's some scab picking that goes on about Richard or Bill or some of our thought leaders who pushed who pushed a precipice in different sure. areas. Mm -hmm. And like, there was always criticism of Bill about, oh, well, you know, he's all technique or he's all this. Well, someone has to go down the deep, dark rabbit holes for us so that we can, they can pull down, that they're down there digging out the muck and finding diamonds so that the Brett Hawks and the David Marshes of the world can pull those diamonds out of there and yeah. then add them into the world. Yeah, sure. I, I don't know that Bill was ever going to, uh, you know, like, well, who did he ever coach? Well, he coached a lot of coaches. Right. He coached swimmers, right. but he coached a lot of coaches on how <clears throat> to make great swimmers. And I really appreciate those type of people in our field. One of the things that Bill did for me, and and I can't pinpoint exactly necessarily what I learned. I, I mean, maybe maybe the cats and dogs analogy, yep. you know, like Breathing. definitely, mm -hmm. but but that's one thing I can pinpoint and, um, and, and maybe the, the dead man float and things like this, but mm -hmm. you know, what, what Bill really did 
was made me think, like made me think hard about why I was doing something. Um, what yeah. what was the purpose of of doing uh, anything in the pool? Um, you know, mm. what's the reasoning behind it? And to kind of flip it on its head of thinking, well, if you think of it that way, well, then let's think of it this way. It's like, like he really challenged me to think beyond just what was in a book, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that something I learned from Bill and something I learned from David Marsh was having a relationship with water. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that someone might be able to construe as being silly, kind of hippie, crunchy, mm -hmm. you know, silly stuff. Uh, but it's not. It's it's really mm -hmm. true. Um, the idea of being fascinated with water, how things move through the water, uh, being fascinated with humans in water, you know, the old cliche, well, we start off floating around in nine months of embryonic fluid. Mm -hmm. So we start our life in water. Um, <clears throat> that stuff matters because the more comfortable you become in water, the more things you can explore, the more connections, you know, your brain and your body can make the mind body connection between water. And it's like a relationship with water is necessary for you to think past sets and reps, think past the lane lines, think past all those things, uh, and I think it's important too, because that that concept of relationship with water, it comes back, it comes back to you when you're uh, you know, an older swimmer and you're like, why am I doing this? You know, and I always talk to kids who are <clears throat> coming out of college or doing postgraduate stuff, and I'm like, Well, what's your relationship with water like? And some of them mm -hmm. are just floored and stunned because they haven't thought about that since they were a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, that makes me think, you know, growing up in Australia, I used to lifeguard on some of the most treacherous beaches in Sydney. They have to be lifeguarded because they're, they're so vicious and, and all consuming. Right. And, and they have these incredible rip tides. And so foreigners would come in and, and see water for the first time and see ocean and think to themselves, Oh, let's go out and swim and immediately get themselves in trouble. You talk <laughs> about, you talk about a relationship with water, right? Like, in in a time where you have no control over what you're what you're capable of doing at that point in time when the water has full control of you that's when you realize a relationship with water is really important right so we would go out and we would rescue these people and i would be completely at ease and comfortable in this environment that was um you know swirling and barreling and smashing and 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 someone else was in complete panic and death and while I have this relationship with this water and I can be still and calm and controlled. Mm -hmm. And and that's when you really notice it the most. That's a great, that's a great example of that, Brett. I mean, I <laughs> that I mean, I was just thinking about teaching kids to relax in a pool. I mean, and that's mm -hmm. that's as controlled, safe environment as you can get. And I think about the story uh, Bob Bowman used to tell about Michael Phelps didn't want to put his face in the water, mm. you know, for a long time. And it's like well, that's kind of a bad relationship with water to, to begin with. Like, I don't want to put my face in this clear, clean, mm -hmm. you know, controlled environment. And we're talking mm -hmm. about the purest version of it, which is the ocean, which is what the earth really is. Mm -hmm. Is ocean just happens to be ocean with this little bit of crust that we live mm -hmm. on, <laughs> these little mm -hmm. organisms that live on this crusty earth. And then we go back into what the earth is, which is the ocean. And we 
you're able to be relaxed in there. And that that's interesting, like taking swimmers to open bodies of water and watching the natural swimmers literally just without hesitation walk into the ocean and begin to play and smooth, almost like, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. uh, harbor seals move through the water and then mm -hmm. watch kind of some kids, you know, come up to the edge of that and be like, oh, like I don't, I don't have any relationship with this water. Like I, I don't have any. And you're like, oh, okay, well, this might be a place where we can, you know, work on breaking down a barrier. This barrier may exist in the trading pool too. Well, that's it. Well, that's the interesting thing that Bill Boomer would do with us and Richard Quick. He would actually get world-class athletes and make them realize that they weren't comfortable in water. Mm -hmm. You know, they were grasping for air instead of instead of feeling and relaxing and mm -hmm. and you know when you're when you're at full capacity when you're racing okay and and you need to be in a relaxed state in order yeah. to you know get through that entire swim he would find you know he would showcase these people who were in a panic state the whole mm -hmm. time and mm -hmm. and make them realize that hey this this might be something from childhood like he would t take it back you know psychotherapy like back all the way back to when hey this may have happened to you when you're a kid and mm -hmm. and then they'd come to this realization of like oh yeah when i was seven years old mm -hmm. i i almost drowned or something like that and that's why i'm i panic when i swim a 200 butterfly now you know sure. well i mean i think that you know we could get into the the weeds about you know because professional psychotherapists can't figure that kind of stuff out but I, I would tell you that what bill was doing was coaching the whole person and we mm -hmm. don't see enough of that either <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah that's yeah. another thing we just don't see enough of anymore is you know, people trying to coach the whole person. And he was taking stabs in the dark of, you know, what may have been at the root cause of those things, whether mm -hmm. it's your mommy or, you know, you know, mm -hmm. lay, you know lay, hmm, tell me more, lay back on the couch. <laughs> yeah. uh, that stuff yeah. matters. And coaching the mm -hmm. whole person, I mean, sometimes, you know, coaching a symptom, it's like working on a symptom versus working on root causes. And, and I used to get this analogy of, you know, why would, why would you care whether that kid almost drowned when he was seven? Why don't you just work on the fact he keeps dying at the end of a 200 fly? Mm -hmm. Well, the reason is, is that when your roof is leaking, you don't take towels and shove them in the leaking crack. What do you do? You go onto the roof and find the source. Mm. And that's what Bill's doing is finding the source. And he's trying to unlock potential and unlock things. And really what he's doing is trying to help someone become a better human. It's like, yeah. this is a fear that you have. Like, I'm going to unlock this fear. And because I mean, I'm using swimming to do it because swimming is my passion. So that's what I'm doing. And, you know, I think that that's, that's an essential thing is, is getting to the root causes. And uh, those, they're harder and they're much messier. And we're always like, hey, man, that's not my area. I'm like, well, if you're not going to develop the person, like, what are you doing? <laughs> we individualize training in the pool. So why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available. So go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I, 
N-E-wellnessbuilding.net. Yeah, and it seems like maybe that process started for you at, at Carmel, right? Where you, where you talked about, you know, the, the group that you're with and, and bringing on Vern at that time. And, and that was kind of the second thought I had in terms of like, why would you even consider needing something like this in a swimming program? Like, why wouldn't you just say, well, physical education at school's enough or, you know, the fact that they're doing multidiscipline sports or whatever, yeah. why isn't that enough? Why did you guys feel at that time you needed more than that? Well, I think if, I mean, if you've been, if you went to ASCA back in those times, and I think I can remember you probably having seen Vern talk, you know, at the, you know, doing the councilman lectures and things mm -hmm. uh, in the OOs, he had a pretty good relationship with John Leonard uh, at the time. Um, when I heard Vern talk, it was just kind of, this happens with a lot of people when you hear Vern for the first time and you've been searching for something, doesn't matter what sport it is. Vern has this ability to captivate you and get you to understand that it's about linkages uh, and not links of a chain. Like where the two linkages, where do the two links touch? Mm. And that is what makes a chain. And it's like, you know, separate links, they don't do anything on their own. It's where they touch that creates a chain and everything in the Gambetta method is what, you know, what it was used to be coined as, um, or what you can find in his preeminent text. And Vern's written eight books. His ninth book is his last, uh, book, uh, his magnum opus is about to come out. Uh, but his, his greatest book, which is called athletic development talks a lot about linkages and that language that he uses inside his literature and he talks about when he speaks just captivated us to the point where we said, you know, this person knows more about developing uh, people, you know, on land, in the water than almost anybody we've ever met. He's worked with some swim teams, Jim Richardson, Jim Steen. These are people who I highly respect, Matt Kredich. They were like, look, you should talk to Vern Gambetta. Mm. So we did. And, and, and the other thing was, I'll give Chris Plum and Ian Murray a lot of credit for this. On that staff, although I was a full-time staff member on there and we really made decisions together, they really allowed me to just take the reins and convince them that this is what we needed to do and bring this guy, bring this guy in there. And, you know, uh, Chris and Ian just wanted the kids to be good. And we just wanted the kids to be good. So we took a huge risk to, to do that because that <laughs> – it really threw the whole program for a loop to bring in somebody and change everything from the ground up, mm. you know, from a, a program that was already considered to be pretty much, a, you know, a monolith inside Midwestern swimming in the United States. Yeah, de definitely. Um, at the forefront of, you know, doing things differently than than anybody else was doing at the time and and still seems to be ahead i don't i didn't even know if people have even caught up to this day you know still still 10 10 years ahead of their yes. time at that point you know yeah that's interesting because i had that conversation yesterday on the on the phone with Vern. <laughs> I, we have teams who call us and want to work with you know and do athletic development and you know i'm i'm glad that they're that they're working on those things but man, you're, you're 10 years behind, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're 10 years behind, but that's okay because th there'll be a bottleneck again. Once everyone's doing athletic development and because I think that will, 
everybody's doing something right now, but I, I believe in the, in the next five or so year, five or eight years, almost every program will be doing great athletic development work. That's my opinion. Um, whether it's outsourced or whether they train their staffs to become experts in it, which they already are in the water. So it's an easy next link. I think that, you know, we're going to be there and we're just going to see healthier, happier uh, age group kids moving into high school, moving into college and, and so forth. I think we're already seeing that. If you walk the pool deck of juniors, Brett, <laughs> the oh, girls wow. are the girls are mm. six foot tall. The 15-year-old mm -hmm. boys are six foot five and they're tall and they're strong. They don't look like we used to complain about 10 years ago when we knew the phys ed programs were no, they were failing kids. You know, our public school systems were failing kids. I mean, they're failing kids in the classroom. They're mm -hmm. failing kids, you know, in life. So, you know, we, we have to make some changes and teams are doing that because I can see it. I mean, I can't look, I can't even see the pool anymore at, at, mm -hmm. at you know, standing on the side of the pool, juniors or seniors, because the, yeah. the kids are so tall and they're fit and their shoulders are back and they're, they're not hunched over. So I know the teams are doing great jobs now. So what is it then specifically? What is what is you what do you do? What does gain swimming do for a program? They come in and do what? That's a secret, man. It's a total secret. <laughs> so you know, we do a, a, a lot of different things with athletes and um and programs. I would say the thing that we do the most is we do a gap analysis. Mm -hmm. So we kind of come into a program and we're like, well, you're really awesome at this. You're really okay at this. You're really bad at this. So mm -hmm. let's think about those things. And then we come in and we basically give them uh, the education to improve their program and integrate our thoughts and ideas into what they currently do. Mm -hmm. And then we allow, we give them access to a network of coaches from, Ken Heiss at Mason Manor Race to Jim Richardson to, you know, who, who, whoever has ever been involved with us. Because like I said, the, the end, the network is our enduring um, advantage. So once you're kind of fully integrated in the program, uh, you're able to call Ian Murray or Chris Plum or whoever you want on the phone and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to work on my program here. It's not just dry land. I can just call somebody up or get on one of our web webinars we have for our members and 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 listen to a 20 minute quick post by somebody or talk with some of the best swim coaches in the world about problems you're having in the water or out of the water so mm -hmm. um to pin down exactly what we do is we do athletic development training from 8 to 18 uh, mm -hmm. and we and we make custom programs for teams based on their situations which is probably the hardest thing we do. That's very, it's very tedious to take everyone's cultural, physical, you know, uh, you know, what's their pool like? Where can they do it? You know, what availability do they have? What's their, what level of staff training do they have? You know, all those things are make each one of these teams absolutely a unique challenge. When you say, um, athletic development are you talking about primarily outside the water or do you do any in the water as well well i mean i i was a professional swim coach for almost 25 mm -hmm. years so right. i can do out of the water to in the water and that probably le uh, lends us some credibility when we go to the swim coaches because i can say look i this is why we do this mm -hmm. and uh, 
when I tell people that a lot of times they think about maybe like, uh, oh, so like you have them lay on a stability ball with like weights on their hand and then make the butterfly motion. It's like, <laughs> well, no, that's not, that's not exactly what I mean by athletic development. Um, but I can easily draw that. I can connect the dots for the coaches. I can connect the dots on a session to session basis. I can say, look, we do this today because we're going to do this tomorrow. Right. And I can tell them, hey, look, six-year-olds should be doing this because when they're 10-year-olds, they need to be doing this. Right. And then I can tell them, hey, at the end of the season, your kids are going to look like this. So here's how we're going to taper. Or here's how they might look. Here's how they might look in the water, given what, what, what you guys have done on land. Because I, I've been through the process enough times that I speak both languages. I speak athletic development. I speak swim coaches. So those things really, really matter. And it allows us to have a seamless um, integration versus other programs. And this isn't not a sales pitch, obviously. You know, I think a lot of people who do strength and conditioning with swimmers, they don't understand swimming. And not only do they not understand swimming, they don't, or if they do understand swimming, it's because they were a swimmer, which means they don't know, they know very little about how clubs work. They know very little about how club structures work. They've never coached coaches. They've certainly never been in the water, taught swim lessons, you know, worked at a Y, worked at a college. So they don't know the, 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 the insane amount of things that go into putting together a, pro, a successful program from 8 to 18. So I think that, you know, from my time, you know, coaching at Carmel, coaching at SwimMat, coaching at Fort Collins, you know, all those places where we built gold medal swim clubs, um, you know, that allows me to layer all those experiences on top of what other people are selling, which I would call a la carte programs. You know, they're, they're, they're selling you strength or they're mm. selling you an exercise. Well, what I'm selling you is, you know, what I would maybe consider a, uh, you know, a, a bullshit detector. Cause mm -hmm. I, you know, like, eh, don't do that. That doesn't yeah. work. Well, how do I know it doesn't work? Cause I've done both. I've been yeah. a coach and I've been a strength guy. So like, I know. It's interesting, um, this, this athletic development, you know, topic, because I remember when I was 13, man, I was a scrawny little kid. Yeah. I had no physical development. Mm -hmm. And so what I found a lot often, once I got to the higher levels, is that the people that were beating me were just more developed than I was sure. physically, right? That's mm -hmm. just, there was almost, I felt at that time, nothing I could do about it. I just needed time. It was just like, be patient, Brett. In a sure. couple of years, you're going to catch up to them and then hopefully surpass them. And that's ultimately, I guess, what happened. And then for those people that were of that age at 13 that were, you know, on the mature side, mm -hmm. and then they got to 15 and then they saw me creeping up on them and then ultimately passed them, mm -hmm. psychologically, that destroyed them too. So there's yeah. this there's this flip-flop of this psychological distress of like, you know, when you're underdeveloped and then when you're overdeveloped in yep. a sense, just physically. So like, how do you deal with those things? Well, I mean, that's a really great question. And, you know, I could talk about this particular subject for a long time. Right. I would say that coaches education is, is, is um, coach and parent education is the number one culprit, in my opinion, in, in why things go the way you're describing them. Mm -hmm. It's almost like something if left, if left untouched, that's how it goes. Like if, if left to its own devices, that's what the, that's what the environment will create. It will create a, right. uh, it will create a disenfranchised, slow right. person whose biological age is behind, 
mm-hmm. and it creates a dis. That's like early on in the process, and then it creates a disenfranchised early developer late in the game, uh, because if left to their own devices, we already know what those people get uh, environmentally from the community, the swimming community at large their community, their parents, their family, and their friends, they get positive reinforcement for winning throughout that whole time. Right. It's very rare that they get someone who's like, whoa, get over here. You stink at listening. You're a <laughs> terrible streamline. You know, I, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm being, I'm being, uh, you know, dramatic, but th- those are the things that have to happen. Absolutely. It's a coaching and parenting problem. Uh, it's because left to their own devices, kids will develop at their own rates. Right. So that's not their issue. Our issue is creating a framework, uh, basically a learning environment, Brett. Um, we have to be learning architects. And the only way for us to construct an environment where a kid is enthusiastic and curious about learning is that they understand uh, where they are in the realm of, you know, where, where do I sit today in this session? What am I, what am I looking to learn in this session? What am I looking to learn in this group? What am I looking to learn on this team? What am I looking to learn in this sport? And depending mm. on what level they are, they have to have the appropriate coaching for that level. And that's one of the problems that we have with when we're looking for performance is that like a performance, a model that's based purely on performance is a, is a failure, is a model that fails kids. Um, a model that, that learns, that, that, that focuses on creating a learning environment that's learner-based will allow you to frame it and have coaches that understand what their job is at that age. So Brett, the, the, the coaches that you should have had between 12 and 15 needed to be not skilled in how to make you go fast, although that's what we want for our kids, right? Oh man, this guy can really coach those 12 through 14-year-old boys. Well, everyone can. Everyone's favorite coach is there. Every parent and every kid's favorite coach is there. Whichever coach they hit puberty in. Like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever coach that is, because they just started crushing. You know what I mean? It's like, oh man, it was my favorite. You know, it's like usually the 12 to 14 year old girl and the 15 to 17 year old boy, they, they grab attachment to that coach because mm-hmm. that's where they see the greatest success. But it's like, no, man, that was, that was hormones. <laughs> hormones made you fast, not that coach. So everyone links onto that where that coach is supposed to be focusing yeah. on framing what the next move is for them in that learning environment. So the coach should have been telling you and nurturing you to say, don't stop pounding the stone, Brett. It's going to break. You've you've struck this stone a thousand times. The thousandth and one strike might be the one. And the same time, kind of framing and understanding how you can support your teammate who's an early biological developer. Like, hey, you know, parents too. Guess what, guys? Tough times are coming. They're, they're around the corner. So what do we need to do? Well, you need to learn that, you know, all these skills that Brett's listening to and doing doing everything right and just getting swamped, those are going to catch up. And then if you don't have those skills, you, you have to understand how to withstand a plateau. And that's a skill that coaches should be teaching the kid is how do you deal with this psycho, you know, psychologically, socially, bio, you know, biologically? How do you deal with all of these different things. And those are the skill sets that coaches need to be teaching people, not, you know, stack and lock, dip and slip, you know, push and glide, which, you know, those are all great skills, but there's more to it than that. If you want people to be successful. Swim angelfish, 
Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. It's interesting that you, you say all this and I, and I wholeheartedly agree with you mm -hmm. and in, in the sense that we need this at a certain age, but I would even take it way beyond that to say like, aren't the best coaches in the world doing this at all levels, right? Like, aren't, aren't they going, aren't they going, like, isn't, isn't an Eddie Reese taking uh, a Carson Foster and saying, you are absolutely phenomenal, but we're going to get better, right? Like, isn't that what the best coaches should be doing? Like the best coaches, you know what I mean? Like that's what, that's a separator too. And that's really a separator at, at the, you know, prepubescent age too, of the ones that are actually teaching and nurturing yep. and caring, right? I think and you're I probably think, right. I mean, I, I think that we could, you know, look, we all, look, Brett, I, I'm a deeply flawed human. We, we all, I mean, we're human, so we're all deeply flawed. Uh, and, you know, we want to work on those things. And great coaches do that. And there's great, I think there's great trainers. I think there's coaches out there who are unbelievable at training people to go fast. Right. Yeah. And if you can get someone who per matches up personality wise and has, you know, the type of baggage that won't weigh them down in that type of training environment, then, you know, then we get down to sets and reps. Yeah. Right. We get down to sets and how many mm -hmm. repetitions and how much volume. And that's the, that's the stuff that makes us feel good because it's really black and white. But as the saying goes, it's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And if you have find a coach who can unlock those things, what you'll find is like those kids will run through walls and run through fire for that mm. program, for that culture, for those people. And oftentimes by the X's and O's coaches, they'll almost be made fun of as, oh, this guy doesn't, this guy barely knows what he's doing. It's like, yeah, but he's beating you. You know, so they're going to beat you. They're going to beat you nine times out of 10. Yeah. They're going to beat you because X's and O's, although it's not easy to learn, it is something that's attainable. It's, it is common knowledge. A lot of training ideas, if you get close enough, it's good enough. But relationship building, being able to draw connections and being able to create emotional uh, connections, which create action, you know which create movement forward and create the opportunities to take risks because without risk taking, there's no change. And without change, there's no improvement. Right. Uh, and, and you have to have comfort in those environments to do that. And a, a great learning architect sets up an environment where a Carson Foster, who's already great, you know, and I'm just, this is just totally me making this up. Right. Carson, you have to do this thing with your hand and backstroke. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, no, you know, Ken Heiss had me doing this forever and this is what I'm going to do. You know, I was a junior world champion in the 200 back. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to have to let go of this to grab this. And there's, you know, there's no chance that you're going to, there's no guarantee you'll get better. But Eddie can convince these guys to do things they've never done before. And I actually had a great conversation. I was in Carmel with Drew Kibler last yeah. week and he just talked about, he said, 
we have one of the best training environments that I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's so hard to explain to people what it's like to be in the pool with literally 10 of the best swimmers in the world who aren't just physically aligned, but are emotionally and mentally aligned with the idea that they want to help each other all become the best swimmers in the world. Mm. You know, and Eddie is a master of kind of, you know, not stirring the pot, but just collecting those cats. Yep. Yep. Master. Absolute master. No doubt about that. Where, where are we losing it then? Like where, where there's, there's a point here in America where there's been a shift, right? And it's, it's almost wholeheartedly about performance. I mean, we're seeing it in other sports. Uh, it's just a, it's, it's a travesty. Like look at football. You know, I was at one of the big, biggest college football programs in sure. the country, right? Auburn University. They give you, they don't even give you five minutes anymore. Like I was, I went to the first game one season. I was sitting in the stands and I was all excited. And I'm like, first game of the season. Here we go. Let's go. And immediately the boys got themselves into some trouble early. You know, first three plays got themselves in a little bit of trouble. And the people around me started just attacking. And I'm like, I've been here five minutes. First of all, give it a break and give the mm -hmm. coach, like just screaming at the coaches, fire him, he sucks, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Like we're giving, them, we're giving people two minutes these days to prove themselves. There's no development anymore. We're, we're getting rid of coaches at, at will. And, and it's starting in the big sports and it's spreading down across yep. uh, in, into swimming. Right? It's bleeding into swimming, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's, oh, there's a lot to unpack there, Brett. I, <laughs> um, Too much, yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. And when I say they're not giving them a minute, sometimes I think about how little space that those athletes are actually are given by their programs to live. Um, yeah. You know, those, without getting in some, some gigantic conversation about, in my opinion, the cultural problems with American football, the SEC, schools like mm -hmm. Auburn, mm -hmm. um, those kids, those kids, first of all, they're treated like, weird soldiers slash superheroes from the time they're 12 or 13 years old when they get, you know, designated as blue chip, you know, mm. players. Mm -hmm. And then by the time they're in the NFL, they're men and they're still getting treated like some kind of odd middle schooler where they're mm. getting yelled at and their nicknames, you know, they don't even know what their real name is because they've been called, let's move it, lard ass for you know, 20, 25 years. And they haven't been mm -hmm. given five minutes to make any good decisions because they program their whole days. So it's like these kids aren't even given opportunities to explore and, 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 and do the right thing. And look, SEC football and places like Auburn, you have to remember that there aren't a lot of professional sports down there. So that's, a, that's the general population's <laughs> big thing. So mm -hmm. in my opinion, that's your professional sport down there. And those are professional athletes. Now, whether or not they're getting paid like professional athletes, that's a whole other thing that I don't really, that's not something I actually care that much about. Uh, but make no bones about it, that, that's professional sports. And in professional sports, when the coach is getting paid millions of dollars, if you want to fire him after five minutes, I don't care. Guess what? Because he'll, he'll find another $900,000 job. Oh, boo-hoo. Oh, so sad. Too bad. So sad. It's like you knew what you were getting into. Uh, the players, I, I, I don't really like um, the exploitation of, of, of young people anyways. 
So I, I, I'm not really the biggest fan of watching adults yell at kids like that, especially high, especially college basketball and football. It's creepy, dude. They pay these guys, I mean, literally millions of dollars to yell at kids. <laughs> and it's, it's such a power imbalance. It's insane. Uh, but isn't that doesn't that pressure then bleed down into swimming where they say, well, if we're keeping we're we're holding our football coach and our basketball coach to this standard yeah. in the athletic department, mm -hmm. of course we're going to hold you to that standard, right? Yeah, like you, you, yeah. you might be getting paid two hundred thousand dollars, but mm -hmm. in relation to all the other swim coaches in the world, you're getting paid a hundred grand more than everybody else, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, I mean, so that's a great question, Brett. That's a great question, and you understand it better than I do because you worked at Auburn. I did. I I don't have any experience in there. I mean, we could sit around. You know, if I sat around with a bunch of club coaches, we would say bad things about you, college coaches. If I sat around with a bunch of college coaches, we'd say bad things about the 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 club coaches. I think everybody's situation is is fairly unique. I, I have some criticisms of the college system. I couldn't understand what kind of administrative pressure. Uh, I mean, I guess I can understand it, but I don't know it. I mean, I yeah. sit around with enough college coaches. I have great relationships with most of the top college coaches in America. So I, I do have an understanding of what your day is like when you run a combined program. It's in the top 20, you know, in the country. It's intense. Are you getting would, that though? Like, are you getting people talking to you now? Yeah. Are you seeing a shift where they're saying, look, I understand you're telling me I need two years for this development, but I got to get this done in six months. Sure. Sure. You see a lot of that, but I mean, I, I thought I I mean I think that your alma mater, uh, your particular situation, and you and I have kind of had some of these conversations offline on the deck, uh, you know, and things like that. It's, um, I mean I think that Auburn did it, and I'm not saying doing it now, but it's like, dude, they were doing it wrong. <laughs> Sorry, they they didn't know what they were doing. They just kept smashing people's brains in who were trying to coach, and it's like. You, you just don't know what you're doing. Like don't, you, these things take time. These are children. It's like, what do you think's just going to happen? Like automatically David Marsh departs from this thing. And now you've now, now it's like, well, if you don't do this, cause this is the benchmark. It's like, yeah. never follow a legend. That's like one thing I learned, like never, <laughs> never follow a legend. Cause it will not go well for you. Why didn't um, you tell me that 12 years ago? Oh, well, because I, I mean, look, I'll give you some kudos on this podcast right now. Everyone's like, oh, my God. And you and I had this conversation. What were you supposed to do? You you did the best thing you could do. You're like, hey, man, give me this job because I can do it. And it's like, well, maybe I couldn't do it. The, the, the moment that I said, you know, like, I, give me this job. I'll figure it out. It's like, dude, that takes huge, huge confidence and guts. And I give you the most kudos ever because you saw the opportunity and you seized the opportunity and that takes huge guts. And, you know, you should be really proud of that because you did a great job and it's like, you were there for a long time, man. Yeah. 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 I wasn't there two minutes. I was there 10 years as the That's head right. coach and there's, there's a lot of learning in there. Yeah. And so like, I'm a, I'm a better man for it. And there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of pride moments, a lot of pride moments, a lot of successes in there. But if you're just comparing um, numbers in terms yeah. of, wins and losses if that's what you if that's the only thing you're judging then yeah. yes it does it doesn't compare right yeah if you're judging so many other successes mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and 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 learnings along the way then it was an incredible ride and experience and, yeah. and we we did a lot but uh, that's right yeah uh yeah if if that's all and that's all it seemed to get to in the end is is that it, it came down to 
well, you're not this. And then, yeah. and then it became miserable. You know, then it was just not fun for anyone. You I know? can only imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I, I only had one athlete who came and swam at Auburn and their experience at the universe at, at Auburn was tremendous. She loves Auburn. Yeah. She loved Auburn. It was the greatest choice, best choice she could have made in her entire life. Mm -hmm. She loved everything about it. Her best friends in the world are from there. Yeah. The greatest experiences in her world are from there. Did she swim the fastest of anybody in the entire planet? No, but dude, Brett, I, I, I don't care. And neither does she. She loves Auburn. What a great yeah. opportunity to go someplace where she was taken care of. She liked it. She swam hard. She swam fast. Like it doesn't like to me at the end of the day, it's like, that's a positive experience that people need to write down. Cause when you're on the forums or people talk all this you know, stuff about who goes fast and who doesn't, there are a lot of places that if I had kids, Brett, I would send them to swim and they're not very fast teams, but I know where if I had a child, I know who I'd want my kids to swim for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily it's some fast team. Yeah, and that, look, that's that's part of it for sure, right? Like when I look back, you have experiences like that where you know that, look, that, those people didn't win a trophy and hold a trophy above their head at that point in time mm -hmm. in their life, but they had an incredible experience and they wouldn't have traded it for the world and they, nope. and they, they, they would die for that school now. So it's yeah. like, I mean... Do I feel shame? No, <laughs> like no, you shouldn't it's feel like you, it is what it is, you know. So, uh, and look, every year there's one winner. You know? there's, <laughs> there's, one, there's one damn winner. Sure, you know, um, Matt, Matt Kredich hasn't held a national title above his head ever at Tennessee, and is he not one of the greatest coaches in American history? He's phenomenal. You know, phenomenal. I mean, it's just like it, it's it's nonsense. So, yeah, yeah I I got I I moved on from that feeling yeah. of having to win for validation you know a yeah. long time ago so yeah destro swim towers gain strength in the water with a tower of power save 150 dollars per double swim tower by using code brett b-r-e-t-t -T, at checkout destromachines.com vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years Vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch. Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know how we got so deep into that. I think I just, you know, kind of shifted gears from the football thing. But, uh, you know, to get back on, but it's happening though in subject. swimming. It's happening. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think it is. I mean, I don't know enough about about it because there's definitely, uh, you know, you're a prime example of what can happen if you get if it's just too much pressure on the coaches to win. And um, well, you're getting that in like in like let's take individual teenage swimmers. Like it, sure. it's certainly happening now that kids are specializing way earlier than they mm -hmm. they may have in the past and. Mm -hmm. And the pressure to be, you know, on the junior national team or be the best in your age group in, in a particular region or whatever it is, the, the pressure is immense in regionally to be the best in, you know, like 
that's what parents are fighting for. You know, my, my daughter grew up playing soccer and I'd go to mm -hmm. these soccer matches oh. and these, these parents would berate the kids on the sun. I'm like, can, mm -hmm. can we just enjoy the soccer here? Like relax. Mm -hmm. I'm not watching USA versus Mexico. Like calm mm -hmm. down. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's a bit, but that's the way it's getting. It seems like even in swimming. Well, the most competitive sport in the world, write this down. It's parenting. Okay. Mm. It's all about keeping up with the Joneses. Mm. And that's a very, I don't know if it's an American thing. Maybe it's a Western, mm. a West, you know, a what thing from the West. Uh, you would have to tell me about your time growing up in Australia. My guess mm. is that there are competitive people, uh, very competitive parents. Uh, I'm sure they're everywhere all over the world. Uh, I don't think it's unique to the U.S., but I, I think that that sports environment has continued to become more competitive as people have started to take their children's futures uh, and and kind of like continually back them up into their early years. You know, we have these crazy people now who, uh, you know, these baby genius things and these baby Mozart things. And they're like, you know, if you don't play Mozart on your tummy and your wife's stomach, mm -hmm. like your kid's mm -hmm. screwed. And it's like, that's crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> but it's all marketing. I mean, a lot of it's marketing. And I can give you a couple explanations Brett, why we are where we are with that. And a couple of them is, um, one of them is the advent of per, of um, uh, professional youth sports programs and, you know, uh, the rise of the club system, mm. the, the pay-to-play club system. As sports left the schools in the 90s, uh, you know, for the three sport model from having a great junior high coach. And that's why I sent you that little clip of Eddie Jones, mm. you know, talking a little bit about that. And I mean, I, I'm sure that you maybe took a little direct, uh, you know, uh, offense from, from some of that. Cause it was, he was kind of taking a jab at, um, coaches who were just, you know, who were athletes, not just athletes, but you know, some of the greatest athletes getting these appointments, uh, with no coaching background mm -hmm. um, to, to, you know, to coaching our youth athletes. And, you know, they're not classically trained teachers. And, you know, in the 70s and 80s, the golden era of, you know, American sports, um, most of the sports were done in the schools. And most of the schools, not most, all the schools, coaches were teachers. So they were classically trained. Whether they were PE teachers or just teachers, they understood pedagogy. They knew how to teach. They mm. understood athletic development. They understood how important it was to participate in multiple sports. Um, and those were just the way the things went. There was no system that all summer you played, you know, for the same coach in one sport. That those It was the system of no system. Mm. And, you know, of course, there's a little bit of nostalgia in there. And I always rib Vern because, you know, that was his era of coaching in the 60s and 70s in Santa Barbara, California. Mm. But kids surfed in the summer, man. And they yeah. worked on their farms in the summer, you know, and they mm -hmm. did all those things. And then in the fall, they played football. In the winter, they played basketball. And in the spring, they did track. Mm -hmm. And maybe they did some running or they just discovered weightlifting. And the system kind of – it's what Cotier calls sampling. It's like really healthy sampling when the, right. kids, are, when the kids are younger. It's called – it's phase one in, in true – in true athlete development. It's really, it's not counter to what's called the long-term athletic development model or LTAD, uh, you know, which was created by Ishvan Balye. 
um, which everyone's adopted now because it's really cool. And they, all the people are like, look at these charts. We're doing athletic. We're doing long-term athletic development. This mm. is the fundamental stage. So they found a way to screw even that up. It's like <laughs> we found a way to have adult scientists even screw up kids' play. It's like, holy <laughs> crap. Um, but, yeah, the advent of professional club systems and also the the uh, the loss of s- physical education and the loss of school sport has kind of created some of this market along with the competitive nature of parenting and the downward trickle of every move you make counts from before birth. And wow. I think there's a terrible combination of that. And I think kids get the worst of this. And I, I, I'm a little long-winded on this particular subject, but Brett, there are no bad that this generation of kids aren't bad. They have bad parents and they yeah. have and they have bad leaders because yeah. kids kids are the same everywhere for the beginning of time. I want that. No, you can't have that. I want that. Okay. Remember, kids make the decisions now. It's like what it's bad parent. We've done we've done a bad job of t- of teaching kids the right things to do. So if kids have overuse injuries and they're over specialized. It's because their parents allowed it to happen. You know, it's it's because their clubs and the coaches, we did this to them. We've done this. So Yeah. Yeah. There's there's definitely that shift. And, and that's it. We always saw these kids have changed these days. Kid kids haven't changed. Parents have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's where the key is. <laughs> a kid is a kid, you know. Um, and, and I'm seeing it with, with my own kids in terms of just devices of of having a device in their face all day long and and the uh, the maintenance of that and trying to trying to remove it from their face, you know, like God, <laughs> Lee, what well, a challenge that failed. is. Public schools have failed us in that. I mean, it's like that that most of them have all they've all broken down and allowed the kid. It's like they couldn't do anything. It's like there was what's a cell phone, Brett? What, what cell phone in school? Like they can't mm. even keep the cell phones out of the kids' hands. Like they don't even have the guts to stand up and be like, "There's no cell phones in this school." What yeah. are you crazy? And then yeah. there's the other side of it where it's like, oh, we're using the cell phone for learning. And it's like, yeah, great, great. You sidestep the you sidestep the problem because you don't have the guts to confront it. Some of it's just our, you know, we created these problems and we're not willing to admit that, you know, these are issues that we created for the modern day learner, you know, and we're not willing to fix it. It's interesting you, you talk about learning too. You sent me something where you said information is everywhere, but knowledge is still hard to come by. What do you mean by that? Well, we're in an information age and I, I, I'm not going to do the statistics correctly, but all of the knowledge that had been compiled and uh, I'll misquote this, but I think you'll understand it. Something like all of the knowledge compiled um, in the whole earth in 1990 fit or like 1980 fit on like one terabyte hard drive or one gigabyte hard drive Mm. and then by 2000 it was like 100 terabytes and then by 2001 it was like 2 million so it just exponentially kept getting larger and like by the week now it's like the amount of information is quadrupling you know that's available on the planet and Mm. um it was inform you couldn't get that much information in 1980 if you were in 1980 when you and i were little kids uh, you would walk around and you'd, you'd probably walk around Australia and you're like, oh, I'm going to swim. I'm going to go, I'm going to find out about swimming. 
And your parents mm. are like, well, who do I go to? And like, just, just so happens that Forbes Carlisle's right over here. And he's mm. like, come on over here, Brett, and I'm going to teach you about swimming. And you're like, okay. And Forbes Carlisle's now your coach. And you're getting all your information. Your parents are like, dang, I need to get information. I'm going to go over to this other fast kid's parent and ask them in our neighborhood what, what they're doing. And they're like, well, we listen to Forbes. You're like, okay, mm. we listen to Forbes. Where else can you get some information? I don't know. Go to the library. And you go to the library. There's a book. It's written by Don Talbot. And you're like, okay. Mm. <laughs> Let me read this Don Talbot book. Okay, this is really cool. And then that's your information, man. And how did you get it? Well, Forbes was informed, professional, credentialed, and ran the school. That's the only way you could get near that piece of information. Mm. And then when you went to the library, you had to get a book that was published, which means it had to be edited, vetted, and the person had to be motivated to put that piece of information into a book form. And the mm -hmm. library had to decide it was worth reading and they put it in their shelf. So when you read it, there was a pretty good chance that that was knowledge mm -hmm. and not just information. But now we live in an era where if you want to learn about swimming, the first thing a parent does is Google swimming where I am. And the, li the laundry list of, you know, half-ass bloggers, uh, mm -hmm. you know, keyboard cowboy coaches, two mm -hmm. years of experience, uh, buy my buy my product for $9.99. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's masquerading as knowledge. It, it, it's information masqueraded as knowledge. Well said, man. I'm, I need to clip that. Damn, that was one of the best clips we've had here. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, which is why I try to talk to a variety of people. I mean, you you mentioned earlier before we hit record on this thing, the, the the people that I've had on here the in the swimming world and in the history of swimming and, and the fact that you go through kind of the, the list of people and be like, oh wow, that's that's cool, that's cool. Yeah. I try and I try and talk to as many thought leaders as I can across all ranges. And so mm -hmm. to have you on here is uh it's an honor, man, because you've done, like you said, you've got years of experience in this thing. So uh I appreciate that. That that's really cool how you just summarize that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean I I would say the, the the biggest advantage that I've had is that when I started getting involved with Vern in 2008, the first thing he asked me to do was stop reading swimming. So I started reading track and field, and then I started mm -hmm. reading. So first I expanded into other sports, and then I expanded into other types of literature. And I believe it's called the Medesi effect, which is where seemingly unrelated fields start to have an impasse. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, then you're having these oh yeah moments. And that's kind of where that started. And, you know, our, we have a, we have a uh, annual pilgrimage to Rice University in Houston where people from all over the world, which is where I met Eddie Jones, which is where I met Dean Benton, who runs Australian rugby. Mm -hmm. This past year, I got to work and became good friends with Elise Perry, who's maybe the greatest cricketer in, you know, Australian history. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like I, I've been exposed to a, a wide range of people and thoughts, and those allow you to draw a web of, um, you know, touch points that allow you to have what I would call viewpoint diversity, which allows you to put everything through your individual filter and then be like, well, what does this mean to me and what does this mean to what I do, which is probably a question you need to ask yourself every day when you get up. So. Which is why I love working for the business that I'm working for now, man. Any question, I just uh, I just put you onto it in terms of um, scoping it out. So check it out. But listen, I talk to I talk to these uh, incredible um, thought leaders and 
expertise, experts in, in the field of uh, all sorts of different topics every single day. And I'm having these incredible conversations and onboarding these incredible people onto our app. So um, I would highly recommend everybody check out any question because I'm getting that uh, we're vetting the experts, you know, in a way that is this person credentialed to be on a, a platform where they can actually speak on this topic and, sure. and, hold, and hold some weight. So, yeah, I'm loving it. It's really cool. Uh, man, this has been interesting. It's been super cool. I think it's like an hour is just zipped by. So we've done really well. I try to keep it at an hour because I feel like at some point I do lose my audience. But an hour is, of, I think, I think people are going to be really stuck on this one and, and go from start to finish. So appreciate you sharing your knowledge today, man. Absolutely, Brett. Anytime. Super honored to be on here. You know, if anybody is interested in dry land, which we didn't talk that much about, which I'm actually happy to not. I'm actually happy to not talk about dryland work, but uh, you know, uh, the Gain Network or Gain Swimming. Uh, you can search us on the on the internet or find us on Instagram and that kind of cool stuff. But uh, yeah. be lifelong, be a lifelong learner, and uh, yeah, man, keep searching. This is great. I'd love to come on here again and talk about pretty much anything from apple pie to you know the rugby world championship. Oh, we, we might just continue this conversation, just uh, make it regular. I like it. Uh, we will we'll, we'll link everything. Um, Nate, my my producer, cool. Swim Nerd, he does a fantastic job of oh, linking cool. everything. So we'll we'll make sure we have all your various yeah, links sure. on this thing. We'll get it out and people can find you and uh, connect with you. Um, one of the greatest in our sports, uh, Chris Webb. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Yep.